Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Regrets aren't funny. Regrets aren't funny, are they? Except sometimes when they happen to other people. Right? Isn't that the way humor works? And as we've talked about regrets here, it's kind of, you know, it gets pretty heavy sometimes. Yeah, this is heavy stuff, hard stuff. And uh, yet the Bible says that laughter does good for us too, not just being serious. And um, so I thought I'd share with you this morning something that probably a lot of you have already heard before. Uh, dealing with a man who had some significant regrets. <clears throat> um, this is called the Bricklayer's Accident Report. It says, Dear Sir, I am writing in response to your request for additional information in Block 3 of the Accident Report form. I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You ask for a fuller explanation, and I trust the following details will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I found that I had some bricks left over, which, when weighed later, were found to be slightly in excess of 500 pounds. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which was attached to the side of the building on the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went down and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the bricks. You will note in block 11 of the accident report form that I weigh 175 pounds. Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up to the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which was now proceeding downward at an equal impressive speed. This explained the fractured skull, minor abrasions, and the broken collarbone as listed in section three of the accident report form. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of beginning to experience a great deal of pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and, and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now, devoid of the weight of the bricks, that barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight. As you can imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and several lacerations of my legs and lower body. Here, my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of bricks. And fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I am sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move, 
I again lost my composure and presence of mind and let go of the rope. And I lay there watching the empty barrel begin its journey back down onto me. This explains the two broken legs. I hope this answers your inquiry. And you guys just aren't thinking this is very funny at all, are you? I don't think this is true. Yeah, we would hope not, right? There are many different versions of this story, but it was supposed to be funny. It's funny to me. Anyway, so this guy had some regrets, right? His decisions, his, his loss of composure, forgetting, let go of the rope, hold on the rope, all of those kinds of things. And certainly he ends up with physical consequences in his life that last beyond the regrets. And we kind of talked about that last week, that sometimes we have consequences in our lives you know, that we have to continue living with. <clears throat> um, but we're talking about no regrets. And there was two, two kinds of ideas we're looking at. One is that we don't want any regrets from our past that are still owning us today and affecting us in there so that we aren't able to do what we need to do or we're afraid to do what we need to do. Or, and so we don't want to have those kind of regrets. We want to be able to deal with them effectively so that, yes, they happen, they are part of our, our past, but they aren't controlling our lives today. Even if there are circumstances in our lives that we're dealing with, that regret is not controlling us. So we want no regrets like that. And then we want to say, how do we live today so that we don't have more regrets tomorrow, next day, and next year? And so this is what we've been focusing on. We, we saw that um, Esau, you remember? He became bitter. Uh, he had regrets. And it's because he didn't value things rightly. He valued the wrong things. And, and so he didn't respond properly to his regrets and didn't respond properly at the time to prevent future regrets. And then we saw Judas, and you remember Judas had the wrong motives. And so even if he's looking at dealing, that's what made, uh, led him to make the bad decisions. And then when he looked at the bad decisions, he still had the wrong motives. And so he made worse choices. In fact, actually took his life because of those decisions. And then last week we looked at David and, and saw that David's issue is he needed to be responsible now. He had not been responsible in the past, and, and that had got him into a lot of trouble. And so he needed to take responsibility for his past before God, confess it, get those issues dealt with, and then he needed to be responsible today to prevent regrets going forward. Today we're going to look at the Apostle Paul and some of his regrets. But before we do understand this, I want you to understand something. The things that happened in our past are past, right? They aren't today. The things that happened in our past, they happened in the past. They aren't today. And so because they aren't today and they're in the past, technically they have no control over us, do they, right? There's nothing that happened in the past that can control me today. But here's the reality. What you and I believe about our past does control us today. And so we need to be able to look at that and think properly about it and believe the right things about what happened in our past, believe the right things about our relationship with God so we can believe the right things and make right choices, better choices going forward. And so the Apostle Paul had to deal with this in his life. Um, <clears throat> and do we have, there we go, thank you. 
So let's start off talking about the Apostle Paul, where he was at in his life. Uh, he started off as this Jewish young man, and he says this. He says, I, I am indeed a Jew, circumcised the eighth day. That was, that was what the law required. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, brought up in this city, talking about Jerusalem, brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most famous teachers of the law, at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law concerning the law, a Pharisee, and was zealous toward God. By all things that the Apostle Paul knew and thought and measured, he was doing everything right. Doing everything right. But what we're going to see is he wasn't getting it right. And as a result, he ends up making choices that he deeply regretted. So let's take our Bibles now and go to the book of Acts, chapter eight. If you don't have um, a Bible with you, we encourage you to take one out from under the chairs there and turn to page 1262. Page 1262. <coughs> Excuse me. So it says uh, Acts chapter eight, we're actually gonna just take a look at a few verses in chapter seven. So here's the Apostle Paul, and let me say, he's, he still calls Saul. We know, uh, we typically think of him as the Apostle Paul, but his Jewish name was Saul, his Roman name was Paul, and uh, it isn't until later in his story that they begin to refer to him as Paul. So we're gonna read about Saul, some here, and just know I might end up even using the names interchangeably. They're the same people, okay? So let's go back up into chapter seven. What had happened is Stephen had been preaching the gospel. He had been called before the religious leaders, called into question for what he was preaching about Jesus. Uh, he tells them the, the gospel, the whole story. And then he says he has a vision. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God, implying that Jesus is indeed God, equal to God there. And then verse number 57, we see their response of chapter seven. It says, then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now Saul was consenting to his death. He was in agreement with this. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women committing them to prison. Now, before we read farther, can you see, I mean, based on we know some things, right? We know that Paul becomes a believer and becomes an apostle. Can you see that he is beginning to pile up regrets? Things that he is going to deeply, deeply regret. All of these choices. Let's go over to chapter nine, a couple pages over in the Bible under the chair. 
Chapter 9, verse 1 says, Then Saul, still breathing threats, and what's the next word? Murder against the disciples of the Lord. Let's just stop there. You see, we read before, the Apostle Paul, not only consenting to people's death, he's involved in, in having people put to death. He's actively doing this. This isn't just a rounding up of, you know, some people. You know how we have protesters today, they round them up and charge them a $50 fine and let them go. That's not what we're talking about here. So let, let's finish reading here. So he, breathing out, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. That's clear up in Syria. So that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he is not satisfied anymore just to kind of clear out where he was. He's going to go find these Christians wherever they are and, and get rid of them, deal with them. Now, <clears throat> For us to try to put this in context, in our day, have you ever heard any really bad news about an organization called ISIS? How Christians were treated, really how any non-Muslims were treated, but especially Christians, beheaded, right? Tortured, uh, used as human shields, uh, on and on it goes, really bad. And, and they have gone looking for people. They go and they stop them. They stop them at, at traffic stops. They go into, that's what Paul was like. Now he wasn't ISIS, but that's what it was like. He was actively going after these people, trying to have them imprisoned, tortured, want them to recant their faith, having them put to death if they won't. And so if you can imagine the modern day ISIS and what's going on there, that's what it would look like here. That's what it looked like to the people who were involved here. Does it sound like regrets to you? Not yet, but it's coming. In fact, let's read on here. So Paul is piling up regrets. Then we see that he is miraculously converted. Verse three, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Okay, let's stop right there. So the Apostle Paul, I mean, Saul here, he's, he's traveling to Damascus and all of a sudden, boom, light, bright light and a voice from heaven. Who talks from heaven? Bob? God talks from heaven, doesn't he? And so now all of a sudden he's hearing from heaven, God speaking, saying, why are you persecuting me? And so you gotta imagine Saul's, Brain starts working and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not persecuting God. I'm, I'm persecuting other people for God. I'm persecuting other people in the name of God. What's this about? And he said, who are you, Lord? Let's get some identification clarification here. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats, but I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, let me just put a little side thought in here. Who was Paul, or who was Saul persecuting? Christians. And what does Jesus say? You're persecuting me. Isn't it good to know 
that we are so united with the Lord that anything that anybody would do to us because we are a Christian, that in reality they aren't doing it just to us, they're doing it to him. We're not alone in that. He considers us as, as united with him and so whatever happens to us happens to him in that sense. But the other thing I want you to see is, is can you imagine being Saul at this moment this is the voice from heaven. This is the voice of God. I need some clarification. Who are you? Explain to me. I am Jesus. Talk about taking the wind out of your sails. The breath from your lungs. Here's Saul. I've been doing this in the name of God and now all of a sudden I find out that Jesus is God. And this is where I think all of those things have been doing all of a sudden just tumbled and turned and became this huge regret. What have I been doing? What have I done? Can you see that? All of a sudden from being angry and violent and justifying and in the name of God, all of a sudden saying, wait a minute, I have sinned against God. I've done the wrong things. I've hurt the wrong people. I can't help think, just overwhelmed. Let's read on. Oh, he said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. The goads would be like those uh, a sharpened stick that they would use when they had the oxen teams. When the oxen team didn't want to go where it was supposed to go, they would goad it. They would just kind of give it a little poke and get its attention and get it to go back where it was supposed to go. And what we see is that God was at work in Saul's life trying to get him to go and see what he needed to see and do what he needed, trying to get his attention. And, but Paul just kept pushing back against it, pushing back against it. Verse six, how's he respond? So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he's very clearly, he's now, who, who is he now calling Lord? Jesus. Before us, who are you, Lord, talking to God? Now he knows Jesus is God. Lord, what do you want me to do? He's showing a brokenness. He's showing a surrender. He's showing us a converted Saul is what he's showing us. Then the Lord said to him, arise, go into the city. You'll be told what you must do. And so um, he's going to get more information. Now, when our soldiers go to battle, and they see things that none of us want to see, right? They experience things that none of us want to experience. Terrible things. They, have, they often get, what, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and, and you know, the, the images come to mind, the things that are going on. I can't help but think that Saul, at this point in time, that very first night he's laying there trying to sleep, but you know what's going through his mind? Every, he's seeing every Christian that he hauled away, every Christian that he had tortured, every Christian that he had put to death, they're going and replaying in his mind, in his mind. How could it not? I mean, we tend to think of the Apostle Paul as this almost superhuman Christian, right? Great Christian, and he was a great Christian, but we see him that way and we don't think, but I'm telling you, the Apostle Paul has baggage that he has to work through. 
He has regrets that he has to process and figure out how in the world do I? And we're gonna see that even years later, this is still very real to him, even though he's dealt with it properly, still very real to him. So let's, let's look right away, he starts to experience the baggage. Now, what we know about Saul is that when he was converted, he became just as zealous for Christ as he had been zealous against Christ, okay? He sees it, he gets it, and he turns around and, and goes in the other direction. Begins preaching. Let's go to verse 23 of chapter nine. It says, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So he was the one doing the killing, now he's in danger of being killed. Why? Because of his conversion, his choices here. But their plot became known to Saul. They watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. So that's in Damascus. Then he says, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, so he traveled back to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Really? <laughs> of course they were afraid of him, right? So now here he is, he's, he's kind of stuck in the middle because of his choices and trying to work this all out. They did not believe that he was a disciple, it says. He has lots of stuff he's gonna have to work through. Now, thankfully, Barnabas took a chance and trusted God and reached out and brought him in. But Saul is having to deal with all of these things because of his choices, his past beliefs, and how he lived because of it. So how did Paul deal with it? How, how did he become the apostle Paul that we know and think of? Well, he not only overcame it, he overcomes it in such a way that he begins to take advantage of it. He takes what was Satan's work and takes that and turns that, brings it to work for God. He takes what was bad and then actively, consciously, purposefully uses it for good. So what the Apostle Paul did is what you and I need to do when it comes to our regrets. You need to redeem your regrets. Redeem your regrets. When we think of the word redeem, we think of what Jesus did for us, right? He died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, rising again. And then when we receive him, he, say, he saves us, he forgives us, gives us eternal life, a new life now, the ability to live for him now, and that's all true. But the idea is this, this word redeem means to take what was of no value and now make it valuable. What was a bad thing now is being used for a good thing. We have redeemed it. Well, Paul redeemed his regrets. And that's what you and I need to do. Um, and here's how he did it. And we're gonna elaborate on these things in just a minute. You, you redeem your regrets, regrets by doing two things. One is by embracing God's grace and the other then is telling your story. Embrace God's grace and then tell your story. And embracing God's grace is really the idea of making sure that we've dealt with this from the past so that we are able then to go forward healthy and then tell your story kind of takes that and builds on it and goes forward in life and, and how we avoid future regrets. So let's, let's take these two things and look at them a little more closely. Let's look at embrace God's grace. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
1 Corinthians 15. This chapter is about the resurrection of the Lord and the importance of it. Uh, Paul starts off talking about the gospel and the death, burial, resurrection of Christ and, and who saw Jesus after he rose. Let's start in verse seven of chapter 15. It says, after that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. In other words, I wasn't there when Jesus was there to us, but after that I was born again. Verse nine, he says this, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. This is written years after the events. How does Paul feel about it? I would say to you years later when Paul thinks about it, he goes, oh man. Look, I know my life, I know me, I know I am not worthy to be called an apostle. In fact, I'm the least of the apostles. I mean, I am an apostle, God has made me an apostle. But man, I don't deserve it, you know why? Because I persecuted the church. Very, very real to him still. And that's not running his life, we're gonna see. By the way, remember we said, if you let your regrets run your life, they will ruin your life. So how does he deal with this? He embraces God's grace. He says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, that is not a throwaway statement. That isn't like a, oh well, I guess this is just the way I am. That's not what he's saying here. By the way, I don't know if you've, have you ever been tempted to say that about yourself? I have. You know, you fail again, you say, just the way I am. Not true. And that's not what Paul is saying here. Because Paul is an apostle. In fact, at the beginning of of this letter, he says that he's an apostle by the will of God. God said he was an apostle. God called him to be an apostle. How in the world can Paul, who persecuted the church, who has such deep regrets, so much baggage, possibly be an apostle? By the grace of God, I am what I am. I am an apostle, by God's grace. And his grace toward me was not in vain. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. This grace not being in vain means that Paul took advantage of it. God gives grace to the, you guys out there? God gives grace to the humble. Paul had humbled himself before God and continued to humble himself before God. And therefore he experienced the grace of God. Now what is the grace of God? The grace of God is his decision to act toward us in a way that benefits us without any sense of whether we deserve it or not. Okay, now there's no earning of God's grace. By God's grace he moves toward us in his goodness and to work in our lives. And, but it's, we, we get that when it comes to salvation, right? Okay, we're saved by grace, not by works. Okay, I get that. I can't do anything to save myself. I just have to receive Jesus. But his grace is much bigger than that. When the Bible talks about his grace, what we start to discover, it's God's enabling of us to respond properly to him. God enabling us to do what we need to do. And so anything that we do that is good and right, we can say we do it, how? 
by the grace of God. God has enabled me to do this. And so Paul, I mean, he, if, if anybody from a human standpoint had reason to throw up his hands and fall on the ground and say, it's over with, I have so blown it, there is no recovery from this, the Apostle Paul had reason to say that. But instead, he responded to the grace of God. He embraced the grace of God. And not only was he forgiven, God takes him and makes him an apostle. Let's read on. So it wasn't in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, so you believe. But look, I've worked hard, but yet all that I've accomplished is not by my strength, it's by whose strength? God's, by the grace of God working in me. Do you have any regrets in your life that are really deep? Do you have any regrets in your life that you look at it, you think, wow, if, if everybody knew that about me, it'd be all over with? Do you have any regrets in your past that, that you've kind of allowed to keep you from going forward? You know, maybe you feel like you're forgiven and I'm, you know, I'm, there's, God has much more for you to do, but you gotta embrace God's grace. You gotta say, God, I need you to work and I know you can work and you've promised that you will work. I need you to do this in my life. And God will not only get you free from the guilty conscience and the things of regret, he will then begin a work in your life that changes you, that transforms you. And that's what the Apostle Paul experienced. It, it, it was the beginning of redeeming his regrets. And then the next thing you need to do is you need to start living today in a way that helps you avoid future regrets. And this is where the connection comes between embracing God's grace and telling your story. Tell your story and include your regrets in it. Make sure that your regrets, the significant regrets, are part of the story that you tell. Oh, what, what do you mean, Walt? I, I don't even want to go there. Well, a couple of things. Uh, one is that it's going to help you nail some things down. Do you know that sunlight is one of the best disinfectants that there are? If you're someplace and you have water that has, you know, the bacteria in it, and if you drink that, you're in huge trouble. If you can have a nice, clear plastic bottle and let it sit in the sunlight for six hours it will disinfect that water and you can drink it. Because sunlight is like that. Well, here's the thing. As long as I keep my regrets bundled up in the past, hidden away, right? Don't wanna go there. They're, they're lurking, <laughs> lurking. But if I can take those regrets and, and I've dealt with them, I've embraced the grace of God, I am forgiven those things. It's part of my story. It's part of who I am, how I got to where I am and what God has done in my life. And I can bring that and bring this into my story. I have brought it into the light of day. As long as things stay secret and hidden, they got a hold on you. And so if you can bring that story out into the open, it's like putting sunlight on it, disinfect it. 
Shine the light of God's word on it again and again and again. Every time you tell your story, again and again and again. So it will help you to be free from its control. But there's more than that. Let's look and see what the Apostle Paul does. I kind of got ahead of myself there. Uh, Go to Acts 22. Page 1283, Acts 22. Paul has found himself in front of a big crowd having to explain what's going on. He's given the opportunity to do that. It's a Jewish crowd. Verse number three of chapter 22, he talks to him. He says, I am indeed a Jew like you, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, and as also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. And then he goes on and he talks about how he got saved, how the Lord appeared and all that happened there. But you see what has he done? I mean, wouldn't it have been easy to leave that part out? Couldn't he have skipped from verse three to verse, what is it, verse six? He could have, couldn't he? But he didn't. He took that regret and included it in his story. So he goes on and tells them uh, how he got saved and how God changed him and and, uh, begins to talk about the gospel. And then verse 19, he says, so I said, this is him talking to God, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And so he goes on and continues his story. But you see how he's including these things in his story? Are there some things today that you say, I don't want to include those in my story? Well, if you really want to Get free and, and, and deal with this. It's like Paul did. You've got to figure out how to include those regrets in your story. Let's continue. Go to chapter 26. Now he has a little more of a, a, a formal kind of uh, testimony that he's given. Is, is he's, they're preparing to send him to Rome. And, and so he's talking about what goes on. Chapter 26, starting in verse 8. He says, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Okay, Raising the dead is impossible, right? I mean, from a human standpoint, would you agree? From a human standpoint, but Paul says, it's not incredible. He says, let me tell you something to illustrate to you the power of God, the kind of power that raises from the dead. Let me give you an example. Verse nine, indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And he goes on and tells his story of how he got saved, how he got changed. It's like, what? You, Paul? You're a Christian, what are you talking about? No, let me tell you how God changes a life. And to tell you how God changes a life, I gotta tell you the story of the things I regret. Things I wish hadn't been a part of my life. But so you can know what God can do. 
I want to share this with you. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We see he elaborates on this a little bit. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. He says, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. Insolent man meaning an arrogant man, a violent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace, here we go again, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul says, you need to know these things about me. This is the way I was. This is what the grace of God has done in my life. And if God, and I'm paraphrasing, but if God can save me, he can save you. You see that? Look, this is a pattern here. If you can see that God can take me and my sins and the horrific things that I did and save me, he can do that same thing in your life. When I... Uh, <clears throat> A few years ago, probably three years, two or three years ago now, I ended up establishing a relationship at McDonald's in Auburn with, the, with one man, old man. And just God did it, okay? And we began to talk and um, began eventually sharing the gospel with him. And then his brother comes into the mix, his older brother, and sitting and talking with them. And you know what's interesting is what do you think they think about me? First, it took them a while to find out I was a preacher, which is good. But once they found out, first of all, I'm open about my faith, and then I'm a preacher. What do they think about me and my life? You don't understand, right? You're a Christian. You've never done anything bad. You've never had any of those things happen to you. Anybody else ever had that experience with people? They assume you don't know. But I was able to sit and, and share with them some things that I had experienced in life, things that I had done, regrets that I had had. And all of a sudden, it seems like, wow, this has opened up. Now we're on the same page. Now they think I understand. Now they're really listening. And both of those men have come to Christ. But if I had done my Christian thing and told my story and made sure it was all nice, washed up, right? Clean story, no bad stuff in it. They would have said, well, that's nice. That's you. I wish we could be like that. So we want to, so what, I, so what you see, do you see how those things in my life that I was able to share with them, the bad choices I made as a young man, some of the things I've struggled with as a husband and a father and and. All of, by opening up about those things, bad choices I made and consequences of them, it took those things which were bad, which were what Satan wanted to do, he used and accomplished and take those and now all of a sudden, God is using them. That's powerful, isn't it? Those regrets are being redeemed. Those bad 
is accomplishing God's good. But it won't happen unless we're open about it. Now, I understand that not all of your regrets are um, how do I say this? There, there is an appropriateness to understanding when to share certain things and how to share them. I get that. All right? But you can learn to do that. It'd be like this. It'd be like saying, listen, I got to tell you that there was a time in my life when I, I made such terrible choices, really bad choices. I mean, like sinful, bad choices. And it devastated my wife and my kids. And we had such huge problems. And, and but I want to tell you that by God's grace, he forgave me. And he's worked and he's restored my marriage. I have a good relationship with my kids. They, they love them. You see what I'm saying? If I was sitting down with an individual, one individual, I might share more of those details. And I'm not, I'm not saying this is my story. I'm just saying, but it's that kind of thing, right? You include it in your story and it will free you from it. And every day, here's the deal, every time I tell my story, and, and I oftentimes have a story that I tell to pastors and missionaries when they come through, of how God worked in my life and freed me from being driven to try to perform, to earn my acceptance, and all of these kinds of things. And God put in my heart, you tell that story. So I tell that story again and again and again. Every time I tell that story, you know who gets blessed and encouraged? Me. And they do too. But telling my story, including my regrets and how God worked, reminds me again and again and again of how good God is. And I can trust him, because this is what he's done in my life. Now, last idea about this. Make sure, as you begin to include your regrets in your story, and by the way, you've got to tell your story. It doesn't matter if your regrets aren't in it. But as you tell your story, make sure that your story is about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done, that your story is not about your regrets. We're not looking for sensationalism. We're looking for glory and honor to God. But you tell your story about your regrets, and there's a balance. If you go back through and read what Paul said, he includes it. But his story is not about his regrets. His story is about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did in his life, including those regrets. But here's the deal. If you can take these things to heart last few weeks and take this to heart today and embrace God's grace and, and then include that part in your story, you'll have no regrets as we've been talking about. No regrets that run your life and ruin your life and no regrets going forward about those things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your working in our lives. Thank you that those things that we know are wrong and some, we so regret and still, Father, to this day, you know, when we really ponder it, just have that deep sense of regret. Thank you that by your grace you can free us from the control of that, that we can be forgiven for it, and even though we don't like it, and, and maybe we even have issues today we're dealing with because of all that, Lord, in the middle of this, we can begin to tell our story, which is really your story in our lives, and include those regrets. And by so doing, Father, we will never be owned by them again. Help us to see that, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name.